Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have." If, then, there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love of united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others." Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work, according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a uh, crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world, by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial, uh, on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and re- rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Well, good evening. It's great to see you all here tonight. My name is Neil, and uh, I add my welcome to Lachlan and Ross's. It's uh, great that you're here. Uh, Why don't we pray and ask for God's help to uh, understand that passage that uh, Tim read for us so well before. Let's pray. Lord God, you are indeed the Holy One, and uh, we ask that you would open our eyes with wonder as we look at your word and at your son, Jesus Christ, tonight. His is the name that is above every name, the only one who could ever save, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. Help us, Lord, to live for you. Please help me to be able to speak clearly and helpfully from this passage tonight so that we get its message, so that uh, we see Jesus more clearly and live in light of what we see. And we ask it in his precious name. Amen. Well, I want you to imagine that a very sad day comes. It's the day when you have to leave this church. People that you love, people maybe that you've known for a long time. And uh, imagine that we get you up the front to farewell you. 
And uh, Ross asks you a question, say, and he says, have you got any parting words? Is there anything you want to say to the church before you leave? Maybe there's a message, a final word of encouragement or something that uh, you think we really need to hear. What do you think you would say if you had that opportunity? Well, I think that's pretty close to uh, what's going on here in the Paul's letter to the Philippians. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, uh, he's writing to this church who've partnered with him for many years. They're very precious to him. He loves them. We also saw last week that he's in prison and uh, he doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. But we saw that what really matters for him is not his own comfort or even his own life, but that Jesus Christ is proclaimed. But in our passage tonight, there is a turning point in the letter. Up to this point, he's been talking about himself and what he's praying about and what's going on for him in prison. But now there's a turning point in verse 27 where he starts to talk directly to the church, to the Philippians themselves. And uh, he might not ever see them again. So what does he want to say to them, the great apostle, to these people that he loves? Well, in chapter 1, verse 27, he gets straight to the point. He says, just one thing. Whether I come back and see you again, which I hope that I can, or whether I never make it back, there's one thing that I want to say to you. Here it is. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, there are lots of wonderful things that come up in this passage. I reckon we could have 25 sermons on the passage that Tim read for us before. Don't worry, we're only having one. And the good news is that right up front, we've got this heading. This is the big idea of the whole passage that we need to get hold of tonight. Christians, church, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what does this mean? Sounds like a pretty tall order, doesn't it, to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. Who could ever do that? Well, it doesn't mean that you have to make yourself worthy to be accepted by God. Lots of people say to me as I'm talking to them about the Christian faith, oh, Neil, I could never be worthy of God. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just not up to that. I, I sin in these ways. I'm I'm slack, I fail in that way, I'm just not worthy. I don't understand how I could be accepted. And they're right, aren't they? None of us are worthy. I'm not worthy. You're not worthy. But that's why the gospel is such good news, isn't it? Because Jesus is worthy. It's not about how good we are and whether we've been good enough for God. It's about what God has done for us in Jesus Jesus came into the world and he lived the life that you and I could never live. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. He died in our place. And then God raised him from the dead so that now when we turn to him, he shares with us the benefits of his death. This is the gospel. He shares with us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. It's a wonderful thing that we have. God has done it all for us. Notice how the uh, CSB starts in verse 27. 
as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is what you are already if you trust in Jesus. You're already accepted. You're already a citizen of heaven. So he's saying live in light of that wonderful privilege. It's like if you are given an amazing opportunity perhaps to represent Australia. Uh, I think uh, the uh, Socceroos have already started the um, kind of qualifying stuff for the next World Cup. They played against Palestine the other day, didn't they? Uh, And imagine there's a big game on at Stadium Australia and for some unknown reason they need an extra player. Maybe there was a few people injured or something like that. And uh, this time for something different, you have to use your imagination here, Rather than uh, going by merit to select uh, another player, they, uh, they run a ballot, a big computer to go over all of the uh, people who live in Australia, and one name is chosen to uh, be the person who joins the team to play for the Socceroos, and that is Lachlan Steele. Very good. <clears throat> Lachlan is going to wear the green and gold of Australia. Now, he is not worthy of selection. Yeah, maybe he's a great soccer player. I've never actually seen him play. Maybe he's shaking his head. Uh, but I suspect he's probably not worthy of selection to play for the uh, Socceroos. But by grace, he is there. Now, uh, what would we expect of Lachlan if he has this wonderful opportunity, if he has been selected uh, as a member of the Socceroos? I think we'd be pretty upset if he'd stayed in the change room and was too scared to come out onto the field, wouldn't we? And the same if he does make it out onto the field and the ball comes his way, but he uh, kind of pretends that he doesn't see it and hopes that someone else uh, picks up the pass that's uh, come to him. That'd be sad. What we hope that he would do is try as hard as he possibly can to do the best that he can because he's representing us. We would hope that he would do all he could to be worthy of the green and gold because for whatever reason, he's now on the team. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. You know the gospel. You're a citizen of heaven. So you've become a Christian. Now live in light of that reality. Live your life worthy as you possibly can of the gospel of Christ. That's the big idea. But what will it look like? Well, I think uh, as we read through this whole section, there are two big themes that keep coming up again and again. Uh, It looks like standing firm in Christ, and it looks like standing together in Christ. So first up, uh, he says that living worthy of the gospel means standing firm as a Christian. You see, Paul knows all too well that it won't be easy to be a Christian in this world. He himself is suffering for Christ. He sees that the, uh, the Philippians also are suffering for Christ. And that's what Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you too. And this is true uh, for Paul. And it's, it's like that big wave there in the picture. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenge to our Christian faith. And so Paul says, stand firm like that lighthouse. It's there in verse 27. Live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, he still doesn't know what's going to happen to him. I will hear about you that you are standing firm. This is what it looks like to live life worthy of the gospel. But this is not a a passive thing to stand firm. He actually uh, goes on to say that uh, if you're standing firm, then you are someone who is contending uh, for the faith of the gospel. 
uh, fighting for it, working together, like Ross said before, to see more and more people hear of Jesus and uh, honour him by coming to know him. And it's also going to take courage. It says in verse 28, uh, this, is, this is what it will look like. It's not being frightened in any way by your opponents, uh, those who oppose you, who mock, who cancel you, who avoid you. The temptation will be to step back, to hide out in the dressing shed, to, str- to shrink back and just be a, a closet Christian or even to give up on following Jesus because the world thinks you're a fool. But uh, uh, that's not the way to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. The way to live worthy of the gospel of Christ is to be working hard at obedience, to keep on going. This comes up down in chapter 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, see how he loves them? My dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, that's a key word, So now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, he still doesn't know what's going to happen, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I think this is saying, just in different words, exactly the same as what we saw in verse 27, to work out, uh, to um, live in a way that's worthy of the gospel, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You've already been saved. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says, live in light of who you already are, that you have been saved. So he's saying, keep going, live it out. And I think the word own is in there because Paul is saying, I might not be with you to hold your hand anymore. I might not be able to come back and help you. You need to take responsibility for your own Christian life, is what he's saying to these people in the church. But notice how they're to do it with fear and trembling. See, uh, uh, when temptation comes, when the ways of the world are different to the ways of God, when that challenge comes, am I going to trust Jesus or am I going to go with the flow of the society around me? Well, we're tempted, a bit like that picture, to uh, just go with uh, the direction that the powerful waves are going in. And we might presume that it doesn't really matter. But Paul says, no, stand firm. And there's an encouragement there too, isn't there? Verse 13, which we had time for a whole sermon, verse 13. Uh, it is God who is working in you, both to will so that you want to do what's pleasing to God and to work so that you do what's pleasing to God according to his good purpose. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not just coasting, not just cruising, not just saying she'll be right, we'll see what happens, but working at it, working at obedience. Uh, And because God is working in us uh, in that direction. You see, the point here today is that as Christians, we are called to live worthy of the gospel of Christ, and that means standing firm. Let me ask you, does this sound like your life, this standing firm picture? Are you living worthy of the gospel of Christ, giving it your all, standing firm against the forces that smash up against us? Or could it be that you are just cruising, kicking back, taking the gospel for granted maybe and just going with the flow of whatever you see in the movies or whatever you see 
and your friends are talking about, that's, that's the values you'll have. That's the way that you'll live. God's word says just one thing. Live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm. But also, secondly, stand together. This is what it looks like to live this kind of life. And you can't miss it through this passage, can you? It's there right in verse 27 when he tells them that it looks like standing firm because it goes on to say, standing firm uh, in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. It's hard to stand alone, but we are not alone. We are together as a body of brothers and sisters in Christ. But this is another aspect uh, for us to work on. See, if the challenge of standing firm comes from outside, like those waves against the lighthouse, the external challenges from the world, then the challenge to standing together comes from inside the church, inside our own hearts and inside our own relationships, things that can divide us so that we don't stand together, but we stand apart. Is uh, the emphasis of this passage down in verse 2 of chapter 2. It's about being united. Verse 2, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He's saying if you've benefited from how good Christ has been to you, it's all there in verse 1. If you've been any encouragement of Christ, any comfort or consolation of his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, if, if you rejoice that God has treated you like that, then treat others in the way that you have been treated. And the key word in this is humility. They're pretty powerful verses, 3 and 4, aren't they? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Think about others and their interests before you think about yourself and your interests. Now, this is hard to do. There's no place for selfish ambition or conceit or arrogance. I'm better than you. I know more than you. I want to do it my way. This is my comfort zone. Don't invade my space but rather in humility, thinking more about others than yourself. It's challenging stuff. And it, you know why this is so challenging? It's because it gets very practical. Let me use this. Is, warning, a hobby horse is about to be let out of the stable. Okay? This is about parking in our car park. When you come to church, are you thinking, beauty, there's a car park, I can park here. Great. Or are you thinking, where could I park so that others can have the good parking spot that's left. Do you see the difference? One is thinking myself, the other is thinking others, and considering others as more important than yourself. When you come into church, do you think, where could I sit in, in this building? That, uh, I, you know, is it the place that's right underneath the air conditioning vent? Uh, or should I leave that for somebody else because it's hot? And I'll come and sit down the front row or the second row. Well done, people, for sitting there. There's a thousand different ways at this place. What do you pray about? Yourself? Your needs? Your interests? Or are you thinking about others? This is very practical. 
Uh, it gets very practical down in chapter 2 as well, where he actually says straight out uh, in verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing like the people of Israel did in the Old Testament. And this really matters because as a church, we are meant to be shining in the world. He goes on to talk about the crooked and perverted generation that we live in, among whom we shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. It's a beautiful picture of God's people considering each other before themselves in humility, being united, standing together as we stand firm and contend together. This is a beautiful picture that the world can see that we belong to Christ. Let me ask, how are we going standing together? I think that overall we can praise God that as overall we are a very united church. Praise God for that. But we can't take it for granted. We need to keep working at it, each one of us, to, uh, to keep this going, this standing together. Well, let me ask you, is there any grumbling or arguing that you might need to repent of? Maybe you've been grumbling to one another about something that's going on in church life but haven't actually spoken to the person responsible. Is there an area of uh, church life where perhaps you don't treat others with the same grace with which God has treated you? I wonder if maybe you need to apologise to someone in the church. I heard a great story this morning. I was talking to someone that I'd heard had been offended by another member of the, the morning congregation and she said, yeah, but you know what? That person who offended me, they came and apologised and it's all good now. How beautiful is that? Or maybe there's someone that you need to forgive because they've hurt you. They might, not even have, they might even have apologised to you, but it's not all good yet because you haven't forgiven them. Do you need to be flexible in some way for the sake of others? This is what God calls us to do. Just one thing. Live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Standing firm against the waves of the world crashing against us and standing together against the forces that divide us. These two things. Now, this is pretty easy to say, but it's pretty hard to do, isn't it? To stand firm against the world, to stand together against our own sinful natures. So I think it leaves us with two questions that I'm going to wrap up with. Firstly, how can we do this? And secondly, why would we do this? So first, how can we do this? The answer is to keep looking to Jesus. You see, verse 27 is the heading for this whole passage. Then verses 6 to 11, the bit about Jesus, is the heart of it. See, why does the apostle insert those verses there? Uh, it, a lot of people think that uh, this was an actual, an, a very, very early Christian hymn or creed that perhaps Christians in Philippi knew about, a bit like a song that we sing. And Paul quotes it for them to remind them of the gospel. If you're going to live worthy of the gospel of Christ, then the apostle's strategy here is to remind them of the gospel of Christ. Here's a little diagram of how I think this whole section fits together. The two green bits are the, the teaching bits. They're in parallel with each other, basically saying the same thing in different words. But right in the middle, 
is this beautiful passage about the gospel of Christ. Now, we don't have time to unpack all the treasures that are in this, uh, this passage here. Uh, we could spend a whole series on it. But I just want to point out two things about it. The first is that this is a model for us. Jesus is a model. See verse 5, how it's introduced? Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Jesus is our model. And when you think about it, he models beautifully the things that uh, we've been talking about. Jesus stood firm. He was opposed. He was rejected. He was hated. But he was obedient to his father, even to death on a cross. And Jesus was humble, always putting others before himself, sacrificing himself for others. He had everything. He had the right to all of heaven because it's for all eternity, but he emptied himself. He gave it all up and became one of us, smelly and sweaty, born in Bethlehem. He became one of us. And not only that, he lowered himself even further to die on a cross the most shameful way of execution imaginable. He didn't go by his own rights or pursue his own pleasures or do what was comfortable for him. He gave it up for the sake of us so that we might be saved. So then, for us to live worthy of the gospel of Christ is to model ourselves on Jesus. He's our beautiful model. But he's also our motivation. Uh, Because Jesus humbled himself and gave himself, God exalted him. God, uh, we heard at Youth Church this afternoon, how God humbles the proud, but he exalts the humble. He lifts them up. And that's what he did with Jesus. And he appointed him to be the one before whom every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's an encouragement to us as we humble ourselves and give up our rights for others that uh, God too will exalt us one day. But not only that, there's just the sheer logic of this here. Jesus is now the ruler of the universe. That's why we obey him. That's why we keep on working out, out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because he is God, ruling the world. That's why verse 12 starts with a word. Have a look at it in your Bibles and see what word it starts with. Therefore, therefore, because Jesus is ruling the world, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, so now work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The gospel of Christ is our model and our motivation. Here's how you do it if you want to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. You keep looking to Jesus. Wouldn't it be a great thing to do maybe over the next week to memorise this little passage? Maybe you know it already because if you've been around Christian circles for a while, you might even have sung a song about uh, that that puts this to music or whatever. But this is a great thing to uh, just to really uh, think deeply about because this is our model and this is our motivation. But what about the other question? Why would we do this? Why would we be willing to stand firm even if we're hated and mocked? 
Why would we keep working hard at obedience? Now, we've already heard the answer, haven't we? It's because of Jesus. It's because of the gospel. Jesus himself is our motivation. But there's actually one more wonderful bonus motivation that I want to draw your attention to as we finish tonight. And that is joy. Joy. It's not a burdensome thing to uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not a a somber duty to live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you understand the gospel, that Jesus is at the centre of everything, then to live in light of that is pure joy. And to see others live in light of that brings great joy. Lachlan reminds us in verse 25, I'll get my diagram up again, it's the joy of people's progress, your own and others. I've got uh, the two orange bars here to add to the diagram. See up the top, verse 25, uh, Paul's speaking about why he wants to keep living. It's for your progress and joy in the faith. He's thinking about them, not himself. Them and their faith. Or again, at the end of the passage, kind of uh, topping and tailing this whole section, in verses 17 and 18, we read again about Paul's rejoicing and uh, his call for them to rejoice with him. It's a strange little passage, isn't it? Verse, verse 17 especially, all that talk about sacrifices and drink offerings. Uh, what's it all about? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, when people offered up sacrifices, it was something that was pleasing to God. And along with the main sacrifice of a bull or a, a goat, sometimes they also poured out uh, a drink, maybe some oil or some wine. Or in the CSB, in Numbers 28, even talks about beer, pouring out beer on the sacrifice, maybe like at a barbecue where people pour beer on the sausages or something like that. I don't know. But uh, the idea of this was that it was an extra bit to complement the main sacrifice. And Paul's saying here that even if my suffering here in prison, even if I die, the main sacrificial service offered up to God and pleasing to him is your faith, Philippians. Paul's saying that's what life is about. And if I can contribute in some small way to that, like a drink offering to the main sacrifice, then I'm rejoicing. And uh, I rejoice with all of you because you're standing firm and you're standing together. You too should rejoice and rejoice with me. It's not a burdensome thing. It's not an onerous thing. It's a joyful thing to live in light of the gospel of Christ. It can be hard, yes. It takes effort, yes. But it's good and it brings joy. And when you think about it, this fits. If you have the right framework of thinking, if the gospel is real to you, that you know that Jesus really did give up everything for you so that you have the joy of belonging to him. And if you know that he really is now the ruler of the world and that that is the most significant fact that there is that can shape our lives. It's not just something we know about because we learned it in Sunday school. This is the big thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. God came here. He died. He rose. He's ruling. He's returning. If these things are real to you in your mind and in your heart so that you live it out, then there is great joy to be had when you see 
yourself and others. Standing firm. Standing together. Living your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. This brings great joy. Like if you're a youth leader and you see your youth coming to Christ, growing in the way, making hard decisions to go with Jesus, not with their friends at school. It brings joy, doesn't it? Or someone in your growth group that's struggling in some way at work and, uh, but standing firm as the waves of, uh, of opposition come over them. Praise God, there's joy in that. You see, this is how the Apostle Paul thought. This was his worldview. The gospel was shaping his thinking. That's how he wants this church to think. Rejoice with me. And this is how God tonight wants us to think. I rejoice and rejoice with all of you, he says, in the same way you should rejoice and rejoice with me. If you could say one thing to the people you love, if you got up here and you could say just one thing, what would you say? Well, how about this? It's hard to beat beat it. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let me lead us in prayer. Lord, thanks so much for this wonderful passage that uh, shows us Jesus in all his glory and the difference that he makes to our lives. Help us to see that, Lord, so that we might live our lives worthy of this gospel of Christ. Lord, help us as individuals and as a church to stand firm against the challenges that come at us from the world and help us to stand together to be united as we serve one another's needs ahead of our own. Lord, we pray that you would help us, work in us to will and to act according to your good purpose so that we might know this great joy that the Apostle Paul speaks of here. And we ask it in his name. Amen.